in the 1990s, Henry Blackaby and Claude King wrote a series, a Bible study called Experiencing God. And uh, in those days, it didn't, it wasn't uh, used to say it went viral, but it did. And churches all around the world began to study this. In fact, in 1997, my first year as pastor, we took our church through Experiencing God. And there's some powerful truths within this study that uh, as I was praying about next directions for where we need to go as a church, I realized that there's probably a generation who really have never even studied this. And so in our Sunday school, we're going through experiencing God uh, through the church and uh, teaching some wonderful concepts. But in Sunday mornings, what I am going to teach and talk about are what are called the seven realities of experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. Every person here wants to know what the will of God is for their lives. And every person hopefully here wants to know what would it mean to experience God and to know him. And those things go hand in hand. And so each Sunday we will look at the realities and look at the seven realities. And I encourage you, it'll be a little bit different of a series, it's probably a bit more of a a note-taking time, but uh, I encourage you to uh, just be all in. Focus in on this, because the truths that come from this study can truly impact your life for the remainder of your life. And I know it has for mine. So we start out with, there's a diagram that, uh, that they have put together, that Henry Black will be put together, about um, experiencing God. What are the seven realities? And I'll just quickly cover these and keep these in mind as we go through this study. The very first thing is the first reality is that God is always at work around you. And so when you see where God is, he is always at work, always at work. As sovereign God, he's constantly at work all around you. Well, that then takes us to the second relationship, and that is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. God pursues this relationship with you. It's a love relationship for every one of us here. And when he pursues that relation with you, then there comes the invitation. And God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Well, so how do you know that? You know that because God speaks to you. And God speaks by the Holy Spirit. And he speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And so once God has developed this relationship and once God speaks to you, then that's where you come to the crisis of belief. And in God's invitation for you to walk with him will always, always lead you to a crisis of belief that will require faith and action. And so let's say you get to this crisis and then once you get to this crisis, you say, I want to follow you That's where the sixth reality is, and that's the adjustment. You must make major adjustments to your life to join God in what he is doing. Well, once you make those adjustments, you come to the last reality, and that is that you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. And this is where you want to get, to the point to where you're obeying God, you're experiencing God, and you're right in the will of God of God. So how does that happen? Well, this Sunday, I want us to start out by looking at the very first reality. And that very first reality is that God is always at work around you. 
God is always at work around you. Now, in understanding what that means, I want to give you a number of points that I want you to write down, and then I want you to to think about these and chew on these throughout the week. First point is here. Watch to see what God is about to do or to see what God is already doing around you and join him. Now understand this. Watch to see what God is about to do. God is getting ready to do something great. I want to see what it is. Or see what God is already doing around you and then join him. Get your eyes open. See what it is that God is about to do or is already doing. What God desires in his sovereignty is to work through people to accomplish his will. And his desire is to move you and me into the mainstream of his activity. So in order to do that, we need to see where he's going. God never asked any person to dream up something for him. You know, some people say, well, I I really want to know what God's will is. I've got this great dream, this great vision. God doesn't ever ask anybody to do that. What God wants you to do is not come up with your own dreams. What God wants you to do is to see where he is working. And when you begin to see where he is working, then when you begin to see that activity, then you are to join him with that. I think about Noah. You think about the story of Noah and the flood. God had him to build an ark. What if Noah came to God and he says, I got this great idea of some things I'd like to do in the community. You know, he is way off base. God says, Noah, I don't need you to come up with your dreams. Let me tell you what I am doing. I'm getting ready to bring destruction on this world, and I need you, a righteous man, to be used by me as an instrument to build this ark to save your family and any others that may want to come along. Understand what I am saying. Understand what I am doing. And then when you see that, then I want you to join me in that. The poster child of experiencing God is Moses. And when you look at the life of Moses, he goes right through these seven realities. And you saw even in the bumper reading about Exodus 3 when he had the burning bush experience when God spoke to him. But what you need to understand is before you get to Exodus 3, you had to get to Exodus 2. And aren't you glad you came here today to know that, that you had to get to 2 before 3. But if you had your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 2... And in Exodus chapter 2, when you go to the last three verses, starting in verse 23, you began to get an understanding as to what has happened. Remember the children of, uh, of Israel, this um, nation that God was building? And as he built this nation, then Joseph and all his family came into Egypt, and they were living there. And then one Pharaoh after another began to uh, forget about the things that Joseph had done. And they began to enslave uh, the Israelites, and they made them their slaves. And so they lived for hundreds of years in slavery there in Egypt. And in verse 23, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God was already working out a plan to get the children of Israel out of Egypt 
and into the promised land. And so there's Moses in the middle of the desert, a man who's been in exile for 40 years, but yet he's right where God wants him to be, right in the middle of God's will. And God is getting ready to have an encounter with Moses. And so at the time that God has this encounter with Moses, his overriding desire was for the will of the whole nation of this new nation of Israel. His great concern was not Moses's will. His great concern was his own God's will. And he says, Moses, I want you to be a part of my will. It is not that God is looking down at Moses and saying, so Moses, what do you think you want to do? It is God saying, I've got a will, I've got a direction, and I want you to fit into the mainstream of my activity. And so in order for that to happen, we have to be looking around and saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you working? What is it that you're about to do? And when you see that, then you say, God, I want to join in with that. You see, God was at work in Israel preparing them, and he's preparing to bring Moses into that mainstream so he could set them apart into this promised land. God is actively working all around us, folks. And as he's working around us, what we need to do is say, God, where is it that you're working? And when you see that, then you want to join him. Let me give you the second thought. The second thought is this, is when you encounter someone asking about spiritual matters, you are seeing God at work. Michael gave a perfect illustration. When you encounter someone who are asking spiritual matters, you are seeing God at work. The reason we know that is that uh, no one can seek God on their own. Look what the Bible says, Romans 3, 10 through 11. He says, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Nobody seeks for God. You say, well, I, I, I've had to seek for God at some time in my life. How did that happen? Jesus explains this in John. We look at the next verse in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So whenever you see a person seeking after God, it is because God is drawing them to himself. And so when you're ever encountering a situation, when somebody asks you a spiritual question, you stop whatever you're doing and you talk to them. Now I read that statement and just guilt went all over me. You know, as a pastor, I get asked spiritual questions all the time. And a lot of times, I'm just not in a spiritual mood. And so you just kind of blow it off, you move on, and oh, it just hits me. And I think about even when I was in the business world, and sometimes people would ask some things, and you'd see this spiritual question that's coming up, but because of the load of the work that I had and the meetings I had to go to and the pressure that I was under for results, it was one of those things I would just blow off and say, maybe we can get to you later. That was a huge mistake. Because you see, when someone asks a spiritual question, it means that God is drawing them to himself. And you are in that intersection. And all of a sudden, because they have come to you and asked you this question, you need to drop what you're doing and you need to deal with it. Um, I was thinking about the story of Jesus as he's walking through Jericho, heading on his way to uh, to, uh, Jerusalem. And as he's going through Jericho, as he's coming out of the city to go to Jerusalem to be crucified, as he's walking through there, 
this is crowd all around him. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's a short little guy in a tree. All right. And his name is what? Y'all know? Zacchaeus. That's right. Zacchaeus. And he's up in a tree. That's an odd spot for an adult guy to be up in a tree looking down there. And when Jesus looked up and saw him in the throng of the crowd, he stopped what he was doing and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today and I'm, I'm going to have a meal with you and I'm going to stay with you. Come on down. He came down and when he came down, he sat down, he talked to him. Salvation came to that house. You see, what happened is that Jesus knows that only the Father draws people to himself. And when he is walking, there's a guy up in a tree looking at him. Jesus is connected with the Father. And he's saying, you know what, Father, I believe you you are drawing this man to yourself. No other reason would he be sitting up in the street to look down at me. So I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm heading towards the cross. I'm going through town. I'm being pulled at by a lot of people. But you know what? I'm going to change my calendar. And I'm going to take the day and spend with this man up here because you're drawing him to yourself. He said, that's a great story. 2,000 years ago, does that still happen today? It does. And I'm going to ask Dennis and Janie Dollar, if you'll come up uh, at this time. Dennis, y'all come on over here. And um, I'm going to ask Dennis and Janie to share a real story, a 2014 story about how when spiritual conversation starts, what you are supposed to do. Now, Dennis would be the first to, to say, and Janie amens this. He says, hey, I don't do this all the time. He says, there are probably things that have come across and I've missed opportunities. He said, but you know what? This time, everything kind of fell together. They were on a trip to San Francisco. I guess it was business and kind of pleasure on there. Business and pleasure trip, San Francisco. It was not a mission trip. Uh, It wasn't like we commissioned them or prayed for them on that. They're just on business. And when they were on this business trip, something happened. And so, Dennis, I'd love for you and Jane to share your story. Well, neither one of us knew when Robin Williams took his life that it was going to open an opportunity for us to see God at work. But about a week and a half after that, uh, I had a business trip to San Francisco. I was making a speech at, uh, in Half Moon Bay. And Janie, at the beginning of the year, always gets my travel schedule out and picks any place she'd like to go with me. And <laughs> she, uh, she had bypassed Danville, Pennsylvania, and Saginaw, Michigan, but she honed in on, uh, on Half Moon Bay. Uh, and it happened to be my birthday weekend, so she said, we can go and, and we can celebrate your birthday and I can go to the spa, probably not in that order of importance. <laughs> and uh, it ended up after we had stayed a couple of days and done the business because it was my birthday, we decided we'd go on into San Francisco and move to another hotel. Uh, since I was having to pay for that one, we weren't going to be at the Half Moon Bay. But uh, we decided to go into, uh, in, into San Francisco to Fisherman's Wharf to have dinner for my birthday dinner. And uh, the hotel called us a cab. We, uh, we waited and we waited and we waited for the cab, all the time looking at our reservation, realizing we were probably going to miss it. Well, uh, uh, a Japanese-American lady by the name of Sarah came up in a little black cab said, Sarah's taxi. And uh, that was who the hotel had called. So we go out and get with Sarah, and we said, you know, we've got a reservation at, 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 at 545. She said, well, the traffic's pretty bad. I said, well, let's just, let's just go. On our way into uh, San Francisco, and indeed the traffic was bad that day, um, she, we were passing San Francisco Bay and she says, you know, they just got through spreading Robin Williams ashes here on San Francisco Bay. 
And I said, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was a very sad story. And she said, yeah. She said, uh, you know, I've thought about taking my life. Mm. She said, but, you know, we're, we're Japanese and we don't like things that are messy. So with that odd entrance, uh, we began to talk a little bit, and she began to share about problems in an old marriage and problems in her job and, and, and the fact that she had lost her home during the financial crisis. And, um, you know, we continued to try to encourage her and to say, well, you know, there's, there's still good that can come from that and good that can come from that. And at one point she said, and this is where Janie becomes the hero, uh, she said, uh, well, I wish I could be as, as, as positive about these kind of things as, as you are. And Janie's seizing the moment, and I, I did a quick turn. She says, well, you can. We know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior, and that's what makes the difference in our life. That was truly the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not that bold. And I would not tap someone gently on the shoulder. I saw her looking at me, and um, I could see her tear up. And I said, Sarah, it's okay. You don't have to do that. You don't have to commit suicide. We have a Savior, and our Savior is Jesus Christ. I have him in my heart. He will help you with all of this. You can have Jesus Christ, too. Well, I'm like, what? <laughs> I looked at Dennis. <laughs> I'm not the type of person that would say, you need Jesus Christ in your life. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> and it's like Michael said, um, let go, step in, take action, um, let God take care of it. And it was truly the Holy Spirit. And I let him clean up my mess. After I stepped in and so boldly spoke, I let him fill in the details with Sarah. Um, and it was kind of interesting that uh, with the entree that the Holy Spirit had led Janie to go, she then walked in a little bit into her spiritual background. She had experimented with Catholicism. She had experimented with Buddhism. Um, by the time we got down to, uh, to, to the restaurant, about 45 minutes late, I looked at Janie and said, we don't have to worry about the reservation. This is more important. And so, uh, but during the course of that, we shared a little bit more. And when we got down there, I told Sarah, I said, Sarah, we're going we're to need a ride back to the hotel later. I want you to come get us. And uh, she said, well, you know, I, I, I can't pick up in, in San Francisco unless somebody asks. I said, I'm asking. <laughs> I said, we want you to come and pick us up. So after we ate, we walked around Fisherman's Wharf a little bit, waited and waited, called Sarah. She came back. And, uh, and again, with the Holy Spirit working, on the way back, she just opened up com completely. And we finally got to the point to where, you know, she began to say that from her Catholic days, she knew about Jesus Christ. And I said, Sarah, the question is not whether you know about Jesus Christ, it's whether you know Jesus Christ. Mm. And uh, this conversation continued until we pulled up into the, um, in the parking lot of the Doubletree Hotel out by the San Francisco airport. And uh, we reached over and we prayed with Sarah, and she prayed the sinner's prayer right Amen. there in the front seat of her cab in, uh, in, in, in San Francisco. And uh, it, was, it, it was a tremendous experience, I, I believe, for her. Janie stayed in touch with her since then, sent her some, uh, we sent her some books and some devotionals and, and tried to maintain a contact. I text with her. That's good. That's <laughs> but, good. I still try to check on her. She's lonely. Yeah. Very lonely. She has no one with her. No family. Did you get her connected with the church? There. Well, there you, the you tell that story. <laughs> the key is while he's 
giving all the details to Sarah and talking to her. I'm busy on the cell phone texting. And I said, I know I have a church family, and I can contact our staff at any time for any help that I need. We knew we had a church plant. We knew there was a church in in San Francisco area, but I contacted Michael and Linda Adler, and I said, help. (laughs) We are witnessing to our cab driver. We need the name of the church or a church plant in San Francisco. And they're so great. They were on top of it. They, by the, we're riding along in the cab and I pulled up the, he gave us the pastor's name, Mm -hmm. the name of the church. I Google searched, found the address. And as we're going into the restaurant, we pass by, guess what? Uh, The the church. church. At the the church. Yes. And she was familiar with the church. She had heard of it. So, and we told her, look, this is one of our church plants. We're associated with this church. So we gave her the address, and then I think you contacted Danny when we got back. Yeah, we got her lined up with uh, Ben Pilgreen in the church, and they're making contacts and doing follow-up. But it all comes back to uh, spiritual conversations. When the door is open, then you need to walk through that door. And God was drawing her to himself. And because of your faithfulness, you know, God just used you through the Holy Spirit to be able to share. And she's a believer now, and she's got uh, got a church family that's surrounding her. So uh, I want to thank you all. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your story. All right? Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, guys. God is working all around us. And we need to constantly remember that and keep our minds focused on that because there are God appointments, ordained appointments that are just waiting for you and also waiting for me. All right, let's move to the third point. This is your third point. Third point is that to live a God-centered life focusing on God's purposes and not your own plans. Live a God-centered life focusing on God's purposes And not your own plans. Once I know God's will, I can adjust my life to him. And so what is it that God is purposing where I am? And once I understand what he is doing, then my focus needs to be on him and not just on my own life. And this is such a key because too often we're looking at our own plans and not focusing on God's plans. And um, the... um, The question, I remember reading Rick Warren's book, uh, Purpose Driven Life. And in the book, The Purpose Driven Life, when you open it up, the very first words that we're saying, the very first sentence says, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God. But the problem is, is too often, whenever I'm thinking about God's will, I'm always looking at me. Okay, God, what's your will for me? What is it about me? The question is not, what is God's will for my life? The question is, what is God's will? What is God's will? And there's a difference in that because once I discover what God's will is, what he is doing, where he is working, then I find out where can my life plug in to his activity. It's a bigger picture. It's not just all about me to where God's sitting on the edge of heaven saying, Danny, what do you think you're going to do? What are you going to do? God is saying, Danny, this is what I am doing, and I'd love for you to be a part of that. That is why you were created. You're created for a purpose, and a part of that purpose is to be involved in my will, get in the mainstream of my activity. 
And so we need to ask ourselves that question, God, what is your will? Not just for me, but for you. When you understand what God is about to do where you are, it is more important than telling God what you want to do for him. So I need to get to the point to where I'm saying, God, I want to know where you are working rather than saying, hey, God, these are my plans. For instance, what about Abraham? What if Abraham came to God and he says, hey, God, I got a great idea. Next week, I'm going to do a door-to-door visitation uh, schedule in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God comes back to Abraham and says, you're not going to need to do that because they're not going to be standing next week. I'm getting ready to take them out. You see, Abraham could have come up with this great idea, but it's completely off the radar because of what God was planning on doing. So we need to try to understand, God, what is it that you're doing? Where are you moving? And then I want to join you in that. And it's not so much just about me, it's about him. What does God have on his agenda for our church, for our community, for our nation? Find out what's happening there and then try to join him in that. I have told you before that uh, about how when I went to uh, Auburn University, I uh, was praying about where God would, would use me and ended up sending me to a fraternity. Now, I, I, I did not, I, I'm, not very, I'm, I'm not the most spiritual guy to tell you I, I got this right, but I backed into it and got it right. And here's how, what I mean by that. I, I was like a number of college students. I was scared to go to college. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, two and a half hours away from home. And uh, even though I had family that lived uh, in the city of Auburn I, and I was familiar with the university, I was still nervous. First time to be away from home and being on your own and uh, getting a little apartment with a roommate and figuring out where do you go, where do you find your classes and all those uh, things and not having a locker, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, so you're, just, you're just nervous. And all I knew to do was to do an open-ended prayer. And I said, God, I... I just want to, to be used by you. Put me where you want me to be. And so naturally, at the top of my list, he's going to send me to Campus Crusade or some, some other thing like that. And when I found out about Fraternity Rush, the only reason I signed up for Fraternity Rush is because you could get to school a week earlier. And I thought I could sort of settle in and find my way around, not really thinking I was going to pledge a fraternity. And then I would just maybe kind of step up from some of the other freshmen that were coming in. But see, little did I know that what God was doing is he was doing an incredible work through a group of men at that fraternity. And that God was already doing a work. And what he was wanting is he was wanting me to have a life that was going to be dedicated to him and open enough to him to say, God, I see where your activity is and I want to be a part of it. And as I went through Rush and sat and talked to some of these guys, I was hearing things I would have never thought I would have heard in a fraternity. And I met men that I would have never thought I would meet in a fraternity. Godly, strong men. But these guys were seniors. And they were getting ready to step out. And what they were looking for was, was God going to bring some others along to try to keep that going? And, on, and, and only until, you know, today when I can look back over that, do I see how the hand of God was moving and just my openness to say, God, I'll go wherever it is you want me to go. And I saw him moving, had no idea how much he was moving, but I saw him moving. And then when I became a part of that, 
and then had an opportunity to impact and, and touch lives in there. And most importantly, a year and a half later with Mike Wayman, uh, who we roomed together and was lost as could be, but yet God began to try to draw him to himself. And, and, and because of some things, myself and others, he came to know Christ. And for over 40 years, he's been living for him and touching lives and influencing lives. And, and it's exciting to know that, Lord, I'm... I was able to be used by you because you were doing this work. You just said, Danny, won't you come in and join me where I'm working? You see, we are to have a life that is God-centered, and it focuses on God's purposes and not our own plans. Let me do the fourth one. Fourth one is this, and we need to write this down. It's kind of long, but it's very important. God is not your servant who needs to adjust his activity to fit into your plans. God is not your servant who needs to adjust his activity to fit into your plans. We are his servants, and we adjust our lives to what he is about to do. We adjust our lives to God so he will do through us what he wants to accomplish. So often we want God to speak to us so he can give us a, a devotional thought to make us feel good for the day. Listen, if you want to talk to the king of the universe, you need to be ready for him to be able to reveal to you what he is doing right where you are. And when God speaks, he has a purpose in mind for you. And it is not that he's going to adjust his activity. He's looking for you and me to adjust our activity. When he spoke to Abram, he came to Abram in, in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, Abram, I want you to build a great nation. God did not come to Abram and say, you know what? You got a lot of talents and skills and leadership ability. I think I'm going to travel with you together, and let's just see what you do in life. Not at all. What God said is, I've got this incredible plan. And this incredible plan I have is to have a people for myself. And it'll become the nation of Israel. I need someone to be the father of the nation. And out of all of the world, you are the one that I have chosen. And so when he came to Abram, he says, Abram, I want you to get in on my activity. I want you to follow me. God is moving in amazing ways. And what he wants us to do is us to be willing to adjust our lives to him. Not for him to adjust his activity to fit into our plans. The moment God speaks to you is the very moment that God wants you to respond to him. And he speaks to you in, in different ways, but he's looking for you to say, I'm willing to make those adjustments so that I can be a part of your will. And the very last thing is always look to Jesus. Always look to Jesus as your example. Throughout this study, we're going to talk about Moses every day, uh, every week. But Moses is not perfect, but Jesus is. And we always look to Jesus as your example. In John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn quickly over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, Jesus pretty well summarizes this. In John chapter 5, starting in the 17th verse. John 5, 17. 
It says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. What does he say right there? My father is working unto now. God is already at work, right? God is working. He's working all around us. And so he's working until now and I am working. Then you drop down to uh, verse 19. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Whoa, that verse, we could camp on that all day, but some of you are hungry. But, um, but you just look at this. For the father loves the son. He shows him all that he himself is doing. So God says, this is what I'm doing. And look what he says in it. And he says, and even greater works. He says, but the father loves the son, shows him all that he's doing. And greater works than these will he show him. So he says, he's showing you everything that he's doing. And then I only do what the father does. And what God, what Jesus says is when I see the father work, hey, I'm joining in with him. And I'm doing everything that I see the father doing. And for us, we are to always have our minds focused, just even as Jesus did. God, where are you working? God, what are you doing? Knowing that God has got a purpose and a plan, and I want to be a part of that activity. I want to be in the mainstream of your activity. Jesus realized he could do nothing by himself. Couldn't do anything by himself, but only through what the Father did. And so what he says is that you always look for Jesus as your example. And if Jesus could be that dependent on his father to say, I do nothing except what I see the father do, how ludicrous is it for us to think that we can step out and do something without seeing where the father is working? Because too often we come up with our own ideas and our own plans and say, God, I think this is what we need to do or I need to do. I've got this vision over here to do that or that. But what Jesus says is, I don't do that. Jesus didn't have a launch dreams. He didn't have all these great visions. He said, I just see wherever the Father's working, and that's where I go. And you begin to see an activity of where God is working, where he's trying to draw people to himself. It may be young people. It may be adults. It may be senior adults. And when you see God begin to draw those people, that may be God speaking to you and say, you got to go do something. you got to touch those lives. you got to drop what you're doing and say, this is, this is God's invitation. And so throughout all of this study, I want us to be able to think about what is it that God is doing and how can I join him in that. 1997, we did this study here at our church. And we did this study at our church. Uh, I look back over the nose to see some things that may have come out of that. Two things jumped off the map at me. Number one, children's worship. We didn't have children's worship before then. And that was one of the things that people led us to do. And aren't you thankful <laughs> uh, that we took the younger children and we created this worship service for them. But the second one just jumped right off the page. And I remember it. I remember it so well. Bill Reed, who was our minister of education, said, as I went through this study, my eyes have been opened to the number of internationals that are moving into Birmingham. He says, especially UAB. He says, there's a growing Chinese population that is coming around here. And he says, I think we need to begin something like an English as a second language. It's where we need to begin to do those kind of classes and expand those. 
And so from the Experiencing God study in 1997, we began to get a little bit more intentional in helping to try to reach the international community. And we said, God, we believe this is where you're working. You are bringing them to us. We need to be able to look for ways to share your word. And it wasn't but just a couple years later, Milt Chamberlain gets with Dr. Wong and Lily Wong, and they come and they meet me for the first time, and they sit in my office. And as they sit in my office, they say, Pastor Danny, we believe that God is calling us to come to this church and to work with Chinese. And I said, this is where we believe God wants us to be. We'd had no contact with them before. But yet somehow they could sense that God was beginning to make that move. God was, was moving over here from an international. And they felt like that they needed to come and plant their life here. And as they say, the rest is history. You see, almost every time we do baptism, we have Chinese that are being baptized over here who, under the leadership of Dr. Wong and others, have been able to lead them to Christ, disciple them. And we're seeing these people come here, some stay here, others go back to Taiwan, to China, and other places, and they're taking the gospel with them. And it all came because in Experiencing God study, a staff member, Bill Reed, said, I think I see God's working in this area. And I believe we need to join them. Watch for where God is working. And then you join him. That's what my hope for you is. As we experience God together. This week. Begin to pray. Begin to open up your eyes. And say God. Where is it that you're working? And when you determine where. Begin to get those ideas. Then you have a heart ready to join him. And you say, well, Danny, I want to do that, but I don't know if I've got all the realities. You don't. You have to come back next Sunday. And you come back next Sunday because then we're going to talk about how do you build this love relationship with God? Are you serious? The God of creation really wants to have a love relationship with me that is personal and real? Yes. And we want to talk about that next week. But for this week, open up our eyes. Let's watch and see where God is moving. And then be ready to join him. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, you are such a great, powerful, sovereign God. And uh, Lord, we, uh, we're amazed that you want us to be involved in your activity. And Lord, I pray for every one of us that we would take the focus off of ourselves and uh, off of always looking to say, God, what is it for me? What do you want me to do? All that. And, and us to shift it to say, God, show me what you're doing. I want to be a part of your work. And Lord, even through that mindset change, may you begin to disclose yourself in new and exciting ways. You know, Lord, I know the hearts of many of these people here in this congregation, and we have that desire. And so, Lord, we, we want to be open. And as we begin this study that we feel that you're leading us through, may we experience you. May we come to know you better. And then as we experience you, may we join you in the work that you are doing. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.